All right, let's get into the Word today. You guys ready for a Word? All right. As you guys know, we are wrapping up our series today on building for the generations. Building for the generations. And we have been talking a lot over the past several weeks about these seven core values. These values that really define us. Define us as a church, but beyond that. It defines who we are as individuals. But more than defining us, these values actually serve as a foundation. A foundation for the church. A foundation for our lives. Because you understand that no matter what you build on the top, if the foundation's not right, it's going to do what? It's going to crumble. So you got to make sure you get the foundation right. And so over the past several weeks, we've been, we've been digging it out. Come on, we've had the excavators out here. We're digging it out. We're laying the concrete. And we've been talking about these seven core values. And just kind of a refresher for you guys real quick today. I want to put them up on the screen. I want you to kind of look at them. These are the values that serve as the foundation. These are the values that define us. And what are they? Their first one, and and let me just say this. You can put these in whatever order you want to put them in except for the first one. This one has got to be number one. And the first one is what? Live biblically. Live biblically. Like the Bible is your compass for life. That's it. Everything you do, every decision you make is based off of God's word. So we've got to live biblically. Love unconditionally, relate sincerely, worship passionately. Come on, somebody. We just did that, right? Grow intentionally, serve unselfishly, and reach globally. These are the seven core values that we said, hey, not only are we going to live by these values, but we're going to pass them on to the next generation because we want a generation of of young people. We want a generation of Middle-aged folks, we want a generation of me, like, come on, prime timers, amen? We want a generation of people that are going to grab hold to God's Word and grab hold to these values and incidentally to change the world. So today, I want to kind of wrap this whole series up and I want to talk to you today about reach globally, reach globally. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time in your presence already. Thank you for the amazing worship just Lord, just picturing in our minds, gathering around your throne and giving you all the praise and the glory and the honor. Lord, we thank you for moments like this. And so now, Lord, we come and the next few moments, we just ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds and speak into our hearts today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Turn to somebody and say, you got to reach. You got to reach. Reach globally. And oftentimes when you talk about reaching globally, you, you ask the question, you're like, like, really? Like, is that really something that I have to do? Like, are you sure? Like, I don't feel like God's called me into Jamaica. I don't feel like God's called me into Africa. Maybe Hawaii. Come on, somebody. Amen. Like, I feel this urge to plant a church in Hawaii. But like, I don't feel like God's called me in all of these areas. So are you really sure that this reach globally is really a call for everyone? And let me answer that for you. Yes. Yes. And the reason for that is because we've all been given what I would call marching orders. If you've been in the military, then you understand what that term means. But we've been given marching orders. And and what are the marching orders? Well, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It says, therefore, what? Come on, say it like you mean it. Therefore, go. go. Turn to somebody and say, you got to go, yo. Amen. 
Therefore, go and do what? Make disciples of what? All nations. You understand all nations includes the one you're living in. So God may not want you to move to Africa. God may not want you to move to Hawaii. Although I'm bummed about that one. God may not want you to go, but God wants you to reach the people where you live. All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The marching orders that is attached to all of our lives is go. Not only that, but in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 and 38, here's what Jesus says. When he saw the crowds, again, talking about Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenteous. But the what? The workers. One translation says the laborers, the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So again, you you get the picture that Jesus is saying, hey, there's an assignment attached to your life. There's some marching orders that is to go to tell people about me. But you say, well, who, who am I? You're the worker. You're the laborer. And God is saying, hey, the harvest field, the, the, the area where you are, areas around the world, that is the harvest field, and we are the workers called to go into that place and be salt and light and change the area. But oftentimes we, we hear that. We say, okay, I need to pray for workers, pray for laborers, and we develop this mindset that says, okay, Lord, send someone, send anyone, just Lord, don't send me. And we have that mindset. And then we come up with this phrase that says, the Lord hasn't called me to that. So it's like, hey, there's a need on your job. Can you meet it? The Lord hasn't called me to that. There's a need in the church. Can you meet it? The Lord hasn't called me to that. And so we develop this attitude that says, the Lord hasn't called me to that. Have you ever realized and kind of stop for a moment to think about whatever inconvenience you, we tend to say the Lord hasn't called me to that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Let me give you a couple of examples of this. So this past year in the summertime, we pulled out some bushes in our, at, at my house, we pulled out some bushes in our little flower bed area, just kind of getting rid of them, you know, getting rid of it, kind of spring cleaning, if you will, making it look nice and neat. And Misty comes up to me a few weeks later and she's like, hey, we got to plant some new stuff. Uh, there's some, some weeds out there. There's some roots that needs to be pulled up. And I'm like, the Lord ain't called me to that. Amen. He's just, he's just not. And so I'm sitting on the porch, and she's out there, and she's pulling weeds, and she's pulling roots, and she looks at me, and she says, really? I'm like, baby, listen, I'm not trying to steal your blessing, girl, amen? The Lord hasn't called me to that. Back up, about a year before that, there was a tarp laying beside our porch, and she said, hey, we need to pull that tarp out of the way and kind of clean up from under it. Well, I'm like, look. There's probably a snake up under there. If you know me, I don't deal with that. Amen? I'm like, there's probably a snake up under there. I just don't feel like the Lord's called me to do that. She said, all right, Alan, whatever. So she pulls the tarp out, and sure enough, what's there? Kind of like a glorified worm. But it's a snake. Amen? It's a snake. He's there. I'm on the porch, and I'm looking, and I'm like, hey, you need to handle that. And she's like, you're the man, you handle it. I'm like, the Lord ain't called me to that, amen? I'm like, girl, I'm like Moses. I'm on the mountain praying for you. You're Joshua in the battle. Cut his head off. 
Here's your shovel. Lord ain't called me to that. Turn to somebody and say he ain't right. Amen. He ain't right. We develop this attitude when it's inconvenience for us. When it kind of stretches us. When it causes us to reach beyond ourselves. To say the Lord hasn't called me that. But, but you understand that that kind of an attitude does not negate the marching orders that God has given to you. It doesn't negate it. And you say, well, Pastor, I, I hear all that, but I'm just one person. Like, what can I possibly do as one person? And let me just ask you this question. What is it that stirs you? What is it that, what is that dream in you? When you look at your job, when you look at your community, when you look at the conditions of our nation, the conditions, let's spread it out, of the world, when you see these things happening, is there anything that stirs in you? Because if it does, that could be an indicator that God is putting you in a position to be the solution to the problem that's in front of you. And so my encouragement to you today is to dream big. To ask God to stir something in you. We're called to go. We're called to be the workers. But in order to really do what God's called us to do, there's got to be a stirring. There's got to be a vision. There's got to be something in us. So my encouragement to you today is dream big. Like ask God for a dream, for a stirring that's so big that it intimidates you. Why? Because if the dream doesn't intimidate you, it's probably insulting to God. Let me say that again. If the dream is not intimidating to you, then it's probably insulting to God. So we have to ask God for that dream, that stirring in us to be able to go and do what God's called us to do. And I just wanted today to take a few moments to show you what God does when one man is willing to dream. I'm just one person. What can happen? Let me show you. Let's look at the book of Nehemiah today. Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. As you're flipping there, as you're clicking there, you're looking on the screen, I want to give you a little bit of context to, to what's taking place in Nehemiah. Nehemiah was born uh, into captivity in Persia. He was a Jew, and he's born into captivity. He's in Persia. And the reason why all this happened is because years prior to this, the children of Israel, they walk into the promises of God. They get settled in those promises. They get comfortable in those promises, and they started to forget God. And as a result, they began to sin repeatedly. They started worshiping other gods. They started following pagan practices. And as a result of all that, God brought judgment to Jerusalem. He brought judgment. So Jerusalem's destroyed. God's temple's destroyed. And he's bringing judgment. And all the people that were there at that time were either killed or carried off into captivity. So this is years prior. So fast forward to where Nehemiah is right now. It's been well over 100 years prior to this point. Nehemiah is born, he grows up in a palace in Persia, serving a pagan king. But something happens that sparks something inside of him. Something happens that caused him to start dreaming. Let's look at it, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me, this is Nehemiah talking, with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. So again, some of them were killed. Most of them were exiled. After a certain amount of time passed, they allowed them to go back into Jerusalem. And this is kind of what they were experiencing. He says, hey, what's it like? They said to me, things are not going well for those in the province of Judah. They are in great trouble 
and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Watch what Nehemiah does. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. When we're talking about God-sized dreams, when we're talking about reaching globally and what can I do as one person, here's what you got to understand is that God's dreams, they always start with passion. They always start with passion. The scripture says that when Nehemiah heard about the city of Jerusalem, that the first thing he does is he begins to break down and weep. And I believe with all of my heart that God wants us to cry out for the areas in which we live. The cities, the towns, the nations, the world. God wants us to cry out for this. When we think about Smithfield, when you think about your area, your community, your town, when we think about the things happening in the world, I believe that God wants to give us a burden for the place in which we live. The scripture said that Nehemiah heard what was happening to the city and his heart was immediately captured with the burden. Something started stirring inside of his heart. There was a passion that was brewing. That dream that God gives you to say, hey, you can be a solution to the problem. It always starts with passion. God will place a passion inside of you, oftentimes in the form of a burden. And here's Nehemiah. Nehemiah carried a burden, watch this, for a people he had never seen and a city he had never been to. He was born into captivity. And yet the Bible says when he heard this, he began to break down and weep. And I begin to think about that sometimes in life, our best ministry comes out of our deepest pain. Sometimes in life, there, there, there's these hurts that come out. There's, there's things that happen to us in our hearts, in our lives. Some of you here today and watching online, you are connected to this church because you were walking through some of the most difficult, painful times in your life. And you come into this place and there's been people that come in here, people bound by drugs, people bound by alcohol. There's people that come into this place that are cutting and burning themselves. There's people that come into this place with an attitude as if to say, I'm going to give God one more chance. And yet in that moment, they have a connection with God. They, they have this, this, this time with God. And all of a sudden, God begins to set them free. And the pain that was meant to destroy them becomes their God-given purpose. Why? Because God specializes in turning your pain into purpose. And some of you realize this, and you've been awakened to the fact that, that all of the hurt, all of the pain of my past, that God is going to use that to produce hope for someone else's future. And God's going to use you. And that thing that was meant to destroy you, that thing that was meant to tear you down, that thing that was meant to cause you to throw in the towel and walk, walk away through the power of the Holy Spirit, things are starting to turn in your life. Is there a passion inside of you? Is there something that stirs you? Because understand that men and women who do great things for the kingdom of God, it has little to do with their income level. It has little to do with their level of education, but it has everything to do with the passion on the inside of them. Now I begin to think about Jesus, and how many of you have ever seen those pictures of Jesus, right? You know, old pale Jesus. You know, like a, a gust of wind would break my brother in half. You ever seen those pictures? Listen, I don't think that is an accurate portrait of our Lord and our Savior. 
Because when you look at John chapter 2, you see a very different picture of Jesus. The scripture says that he walks into the temple and he walks in there and he's driving out these money changers with a whip. Can you picture Jesus that moment in that temple? He's turning over tables. He's running people out. Talking about like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Come on, break into my, I'll be back. Come on, some of y'all get that later. But he's in there. That day, Jesus threw a temple tantrum. And John chapter 2 verse 17 says, When the disciples saw that, the prophecy from Scripture came to their mind that passion for God's house will consume me. There's a passion inside of you that wants to speak to the emptiness around you. That passion. And you understand I'm not talking about hype today. There's a difference between hype and passion. Hype is all about the external. It's when you're externally motivated. But what do you do when those feelings are gone? You understand that you can't live by your emotions, but passion is not externally motivated. It is fueled and sustained from within. It's like a fire in your belly. And the kind of passion I'm talking about, this passion that comes from God, you're not going to find it on a shelf. You're not going to find it in a bottle. You're not going to find it in a pill. It is the river of the Holy Spirit that will well up inside of you. And that passion in you wants to reach people all around you. God wants to do something great in and through you. And it starts with passion. You've got to have a passion. The scripture says when Nehemiah heard what was happening in Jerusalem. How the walls had been torn down. That he began to weep. What are you passionate about? What is it that that frustrates you when you look at what's going on in our world, in our community, in our schools, in our society? What is it that frustrates you? Because sometimes ministry is birthed out of divine discontent. If something bothers you, if something stirring in you, again, you understand that's an indicator that God is wanting to use you in that area. Nehemiah broke down and wept, but look at what it says in verse 5 through 7. It says, Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commandments. Watch what he says. Listen to my prayer. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. Dreams start with passion. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the second thing you've got to understand is that dreams are built by prayer. They're built by prayer. Nehemiah has this passion. He begins to weep. He begins to cry. But then one of the first things he does after this is he begins to pray. When you have a God-sized dream, when God is stirring you to reach the world, to reach your world, to reach your community, that passion stirs, but that dream is built through prayer. Prayer is so important. Why? Because when it comes to the dream, discouragement is going to meet you. See, it's easy to come in here and get passionate and get fired up and run laps and sling your weave all over this place. It's easy to do that. But when you go out there, you understand discouragement is going to meet you. You're going to run into the criticism. You're going to run into the naysayers. All these things that are trying to tear your passion down. But through prayer, you are built up. And here's the thing that I know about prayer. If you can achieve the dream all by yourself, guess what? You don't need God. 
But here's Nehemiah, and he says, man, there's this place that's too big. There's these people. This thing is too big for me to handle on my own. Lord, I need your help. I mean, if you understand that 2021, let's back up. 2020, 2020, 2021 have been years too big for us to handle on our own. For the first time in history, we have seen our world literally shut down. God, we need your help. We need your guidance. In order to do what we feel God has laid on our hearts to do. We, in order to reach the, the level of people we're wanting to reach. In order to sow into the schools like we're wanting to sow into them. In order to do the expansion on the facility like we want to do. God, this thing is too big for us. We can't do it without you. We need the help of Almighty God. Which is why for the past 21 days, this ended Friday, we've been praying and fasting and seeking God for this. So Nehemiah gets news. God gives him a burden. He starts to dream. Dreams start with passion. But in order to fuel and sustain it, it takes prayer. Watch this, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan. Turn to somebody and say, that's not your car. It's your car. In the month of Nisan. Hebrew calendar, that's April or May. Let me point out something very important to you. Nehemiah gets news that Jerusalem is in ruins in December. But it's not until April or May till he does something. It says, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply Trouble. Dreams start with passion. They are fueled by prayer. Here's the third thing. They are developed with patience. They're developed with patience. It's easy to shout when it comes to passion. It's easy to say, yes, let's do it. Let's go. But when you start talking about patience, things tend to slow down a little bit. It's interesting how Nehemiah waited four to five months before he ever spoke to the king. And what that tells me is that oftentimes in our lives, God has to do something in you before he can do something through you. If you've got a dream, if you've got something stirring you, that's great. But the scripture says that the vision is yet for an appointed time. You've got to get the timing of God right on that thing. Just because you feel it and you're passionate about it doesn't mean it's for right now. It's like, God, God, what are you trying to do here? And some of you right now watching online in the house today, you're compelled. You're passionate. You've got a dream for your life. You've been praying, but you're frustrated because you're not seeing anything happening around you. Can I tell you what God's doing? He's got you in the crock pot. Come on, anybody familiar with a crock pot? Anybody love some crock pot food in the house? Anybody? Come on. I thought I saw you guys like running laps right then. But anybody excited like crock pot food? Come on, somebody. Put a big old roast in the crock pot. And, and, and I know some vegetarians out there, some watching online, I, please forgive me for a moment. But anyway, put a big roast in the crock pot. Put some potatoes and onions and some carrots in that thing. Put that thing on low. Come on, baby. Put it on low. Just come to church, get your worship on, get your praise on, go back home. Come on, smells like Betty Crocker landed in your house. Take that lid off. Oh my God, just everywhere. That's the crock pot. Sometimes God will put us in the crock pot, but we want the microwave. 
Come on. How many of you remember them old TV dinners? Come on, Mama grabbed that little Salisbury steak. Anybody, anybody feeling my pain? A little block of ice, a little mashed potatoes and corn. Come on, put that thing in the microwave. Two minutes, bone appetit, baby. Anybody know what that is? Listen, hear me today. Don't treat your life and your destiny like a TV dinner. God's got you in the crock pot. And oftentimes in life, we're trying to jump out of the crock pot into the microwave. And we're like, God, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's charge Hades with a water pistol. Turn me loose. And God's like, no, slow your roll. I got to do something in you before I do something through you. Never treat your life, your destiny, the dream, the stirring like a TV dinner. God's got you in the crock pot. You're where you need to be. And you say, man, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not where I used to be. God's doing something in you. That dream starts with passion. It's built by prayer. It's going to take patience. you got to get the timing of God right on this thing. But if you will wait on God, watch this. You're suddenly will be right around the corner. In the book of Nehemiah, the scripture says that the city of Jerusalem had been in ruins for 160 years. Think about this. 160 years. Nehemiah waited four to five months before he says anything to the king, but in just 52 days, God uses Nehemiah and a handful of people to rebuild the wall. What man could not accomplish in 160 years... God, through Nehemiah, accomplished it in 52 days. Final fault, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 6 and 8. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I'd be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, If it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the, Euphr- of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me... Travel safely through the territories of the way of Judah. Watch this. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me some timber. You you get this. My brother said, drink big or go home. Like, I'm going back to Jerusalem. I'm going to do what God's called me to do, and I need you to fit the bill. Give me some timber. I need to make beams for the gates of the temple forest for the city walls. Well, a house for and a house for myself. I ain't real sure about that one. I, I'm, some of y'all caught that. Some of you did. My brother said, "Hey, man, I want you to pay the bill. God's got an amazing outreach project, but hey, I'm gonna build me a house too. Just letting you know." And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was upon me. God-sized dreams, guys. They start with passion. They're built with prayer. It's gonna take patience. And then here's number four. Is what I want you to get. God will position you to accomplish the dream. He will position you to accomplish the dream. You understand that Nehemiah was in that palace for the sole reason of being connected to a king who had resources. And that king granted him favor. It's going to take passion. When we talk about reaching globally. Can I just tell you something that we do every year? We support a ministry on a monthly basis. For those of you that are not aware, we actually have a bridge location in Belize. It's in Belize. 
And every year, we send a group of people to Belize to help be a blessing to those people. To help just do whatever needs to be done. On a monthly basis, we do that. On a monthly basis, we support another mission trip, if you will. This is kind of a local one in Kentucky. It's in Kentucky. And every year we go to Kentucky and we bless people. We help people. We, we put houses back together. We, we, we have been working on a church for, for these kids that come out. And they come all out of the mountains. And they come to this area and, and, and they worship God. Well, guess what? They, did, they didn't have a, an area to worship. They were doing it open air. And so we said, hey, man, let's get together. Here's, here's a building. Let's, let's put it together. And the guys from Kentucky put this together. And guys, we did that. You did that. We do that on a monthly basis. We do it on a monthly basis. Every year we feed into the schools. Every year we feed into our schools. And we say, hey, we want to be a blessing to you guys. I know many of you signed up to be mentors. And, and listen, I, 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 we have not forgotten you. But we have not been given the green light to go into the schools yet for mentorship. But every year we're feeding these guys. Every year we're offering counseling to these guys. So you understand when I say reach globally, yes, it is around the world, but it's also our world. And one of the things that we feel like God has called us to do in this, in this season that we're in and building for the generations is, is God has called us to do multiple things. And one of the things God has called us to do is to sow into our schools like never before. And so we're going to do that. Another thing we feel like God's called us to, go, to do is sow into outreach more than ever before. Sow into the Celebrate Recovery program that we have that has actually grown to where we have to do two services now. One service won't hold them. They got to do two. We want to sow into that. We want to sow into being able to feed the homeless and being able to close the, clothe those that, that don't have that. But then the last thing we want to do is do an expansion on this facility. 9,100 square foot. That's a big task. Why are we doing that? Because you remember earlier in the message when I said that there are people connected to this church. And the reason why they got connected here is because they come in here bound up by some things. Whether it's drugs, alcohol. You, you understand cutting and burning is real. You get that. If you don't, come talk with me. You understand that people pull up into this parking lot with an attitude that says, I'm giving God one more shot. You, you understand that. And so these people are connected to this ministry. And, and one of the things that we feel like God has called us to do is to reach more people. Our kids' rooms right now, they're, they're kind of small. And there's only two of them. And then there's one nursery. Now the nursery is a little slim, which means some of y'all need to catch a vision. I'm just saying. Amen. But a nursery, you know, got plenty of room in a nursery. But, but our other, there's only two classrooms. Well, guess what? We've, we've got a wide range of kids. We've got a lot of kids here and a wide range of kids. And so we're like, okay, we need more classrooms, but we don't have more space. 
So we're trying to get creative. We're trying to do different things to separate our kids. And, and there's some things we can do. But at the end of the day, this expansion includes not one, not two, three, or four, but five classrooms. Five. Not only that, but our students. We have a lot of students that attend here. They're out there in the modular like a little can of sardines. It's kind of like this. They're, they're at capacity. And so we said, hey, let's, let's dream big. What will it look like to have two? Like double the attendance of our students. What does that look like? So we, we've got that in the plan. And then we looked in here and I thought about you guys. And I thought about, man, these guys, they're kind of starting to get a little shoulder to shoulder. You know, I said, so what does it look like for us to have more adults to come in and to experience what you are experiencing right now? And so out of that came the vision. You understand that, that the steps I just walked you through is the steps that we have been through this whole year. We didn't just wake up one morning and, and just say, well, let's just do 9100 square. It didn't happen that way. We didn't just wake up and say, well, let's, just, let's, let's give more to the schools. Let's give more. No. In a time of prayer and fasting and seeking God, we came up with this stirring in our hearts to say, man, let's be a beacon in this community. Let's reach beyond the four walls even more than what we're doing now. And let's touch people's hearts. Let's touch people's lives in a way like never before. And so the passion started stirring. And we said, wait a minute, man. Let's, 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 let's like dream big or go home. Amen. So we started dreaming and, and started saying, okay, God, what does this look like? And so we started praying about it. And then we said, well, wait a minute, man. The timing just couldn't, isn't quite right on this thing. Let's, let's put more prayer into it. Let's have some patience. Let's wait. And so now we feel like that God has connected us corporately as a body of believers to say, let's charge the mountain. Let's go get it. Let's take territory for Jesus Christ. Let's expand this place. Let's go into our schools like never before. Let's outreach like never before. If we're going to be a beacon, baby, let's be a beacon. But it's going to require everybody grab a paddle and get some work done. Why? Because we're the laborers. We're the workers. And we're going to go, yo, into our communities, into our nations, into everywhere to preach the gospel. Stand with me all over the house and give God a big hand clap of praise.